Hey, welcome to Guitar Knobs, the guitars, gear, noise, and nonsense podcast hosted today by these knobs. Jared Brandon. Brandon, welcome pickups. Hey, it's me, Todd Novak. We are super happy that you were along for the ride for the Guitar Knobs podcast. We are really excited about this show. Uh, we've got a special guest who has been a long time coming, and we've gotten a lot of requests. And this guest is, who are you? Uh, Pete Sully from Strymon. And this is Ethan Tufts from Strymon. Calling you from Westlake Village, California. Awesome. Excellent, excellent. Uh, all the way on the West Coast. So uh, we are hoping that the internet gods uh, are smiling upon us tonight. That's right. And we don't have any big issues. So, yes. Thank you, guys. Like we just had that nobody heard, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> just edit that out. Exactly. Uh, we got a little bit of news. Uh, just want to talk about a couple things real quick for us. First of all, along the notes of that, uh, what we just mentioned in the past couple episodes, um, I think we've had a, a little bit of signal quality. We have changed our our uh, actual call provider. So hopefully that is for the better moving forward. Yeah. So we apologize for that and we appreciate you guys sticking through it. Thank you. I also want to give a quick shout out to Leo Olagazi of Guitaras Peligro, which is uh, Danger Guitars, essentially. And, and he's been a longtime listener, actually, since the beginning. And he shared, he just recently shared a, an Instagram of him working on an instrument whilst our show was playing in the background. And that was just really cool. We appreciate that. And so he shared that with us. And it, it gives us, um, you know, when you're working on something, all of you builders out there or, um, you know, hey, whatever you're doing, I guess... If you're working on something and you're focused on that, you sometimes you wonder like, does anybody does anybody care? Does anybody listen? <laughs> am I am I doing this for anything? <laughs> so that's just it's a great affirmation, and I I always appreciate when you guys are taking pictures and sharing either the the gear that you get from us or you're playing the show or just a shout out or whatever. It's it it does wonders for our day, and we appreciate you. I uh, also want to give a shout out to Michael Van Zant for he's he shares all kinds of stuff with me and today he shared a um I, I have a fondness for the Union Jack Sheraton uh from you know the Oasis one because oh, I love Oasis yeah. and you know get over it who are they yeah shush uh so he shared that and he shares all kinds of Clash stuff with me and it's cool so we have a little bit of back and forth and I appreciate his um his uh virtual friendship online David Kaminga. He says that he feels smarter every time he listens to one of our podcasts. It must that, be when I'm talking. You know, like he, he says he feels like he knows more about guitars and such. And that's great. That's what we're trying to, we're just trying to. I do too. Spread a little knowledge from our, you know, that our guests gives us and uh, to everybody who's listening. So thank you, David. Yes, indeed. And we get lots of comments like that. We, uh, and those that uh, we're going to try to do a little bit more of the shouting out business for all of you who are taking the time to send us notes and stuff, and we really appreciate that. So, to our guests, which we are very excited to have, Strymon Engineering, if you are not familiar with with their pedals, boy, oh boy, do you have a lot of catching up to do. And get out from under the rock. Yes. Make sure you go investigate that as soon as possible on Instagram, on YouTube, wherever you can. It's all over the place. I mean, let's... These are top tier pedals and we have we've heard them mentioned on several of our four on the floor segments and if you're new to the show and don't know what that is uh, which we get new people all the time so welcome 
Uh, that is where we ask our guests to share four of their must-have pedals. Uh, so you can check that out on our website under the Four on the Floor menu item and also on our Instagram. On the Four on the Floor, Strymon comes up pretty often, I'm just saying. And for a very good reason. We're going to get into that in great detail, great detail, very soon. But for now, let's talk about what's going on in our music world. Uh, Tony? Tony? Where is he? Oh, yeah, that's right. He's out of the country. I am sad right now. I'm just I'm, I'm just a little bit sad. Tony's weird. not here. It is weird not having him uh, with his giant voice blasting my ears. His laugh. Yes. <laughs> with Tony. Uh, Jared, go. Okay, great. Um, <clears throat> the other morning I woke up and looked at my orders and my website because I do this pickup thing and I see a canceled order and... And I say, wait, oh, wait no. you do this pickup thing. Yeah, I build pickups build for a pickups. living. That's right. right. Okay. And uh, I look at an order on my, my website order thing and it says canceled. So I said, oh, no. So what do I do is I reach out to the person that canceled the order and they didn't even purchase anything. They just, they went on my website, they were going to order something and then they changed their mind. So I figure out why you change your mind. So I emailed the fella. Say, hey, what, what, you know, what's going on? If you need help ordering, uh, just let me know. So he had a very simple reason. And I said, I can make these however you want. You know, all you got to do is just, you know, tell me. And then if you need some uh, tweaking later on, if you're not happy with them, I'll do that for free for you. So if you I need saved, a little persuasion, I can right. send a couple guys down to make you maybe reconsider. <laughs> that's right. No, he, uh, he said, wow, that's great. So I saved my sale. And uh, another thing is there is a guitar show uh, coming up. We will have already been there. By the time that people hear this, we will have already been there. But the fact is, I'm getting ready for that. Okay. And I can't wait, I can't wait to go mingle, around, to go mingle with around with other, other dealers. dealers. And, and is this the Strymon <laughs> pedal right here? <laughs> yes, it's that. We are replicating the El Capistan. When I go <laughs> to the guitar show, I just feel at home. I just feel like I'm in my groove. I just love guitar shows. Yeah. And everybody else should go to and check out what you could see. Indeed. You never know. Indeed. Uh, let's see. Let's go to let's go to Ethan. What's going on in music world, buddy? Going on in my music world. Um, I'm doing a little bit of recording at home. I've been uh, playing around with moving my moving some pedals around on my board and trying some new things. And uh, I, I built this looping pedal rig not too long ago. Uh, and um, I just do a lot of live looping stuff at home and trying to trying to record a new album. That's what I've been doing. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm in the midst of doing that myself, and it is a thrill and a nightmare at the same time, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I, I've, I was looking at my hard drive. I have about 70, 73 like, half-finished songs that... That's that's kind of the worst because you know like which one do I finish? Right, turn them into thirty six and a half songs. <laughs> there, you <go. laughs> there you go. Yeah, and then we're done. Yep, that's cool. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, let's see, Pete. How about you? Well, I uh, most of my guitar playing, in fact, probably ninety some odd percent of it, is here at the office, much to the chagrin of the uh, office mates who have to mm-hmm. listen to me as I noodle and, and you know tweak parameters and things. But um, typically, I play a uh, this Agile, uh, that's the name of the brand. It's a Korean uh, brand that um, is a Les Paul copy. And it. Uh, I put some nice pickups in it. And it's a, a very nice guitar, but it probably weighs 10 and a half pounds. Oh, boy. And I'm always, like, picking the guitar up and putting it down and picking it up. And, you know, I, I'm basically, you know, typing as I'm kind of, you know, 
shuffling the, the guitar around. So just recently I decided to, um, I've had this guitar for a long time. It's an Alden kind of, which is a, one of the harmony uh, variants um, of a guitar, which is kind of like a Dan Electro. Um, it's made out of some unknown like plastic compound. It weighs about three, I don't know, maybe four pounds. And it's got the the nice lip. It's a night from 1962, and it's got the uh, you know the lipstick uh, pickup in it. And I my original reason for changing guitars in at the office was really to you know help my back and shoulders from <laughs> picking this guitar up. But you know I've really you know really started to appreciate and dig the sound that comes out of this. It's a single coil pickup, but it's it's really got you know like a clarity and a, like a beefiness to it that. Uh, is very different from uh, you know a traditional like say Strat uh, style single coil, but it's a uh, you know much uh, much clearer than any sort of uh, humbucker would be. So it's kind of a win-win. So it, it kind of great. Yeah, it makes it makes me play a little differently, and you know I can actually get to the end, end of the day and not uh, you know, have hmm. to go to the chiropractor. So that's uh, that's it, pretty much what's going on with me is weight saving. <laughs> it kind of sounds like uh, like an like a uh, echo. Uh, Guitar, the the Italian brand, Echo, Eco. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds a little yeah. bit like that. Yeah, it is kind of a, um, you know, well, I guess it's it's the style. I, I don't know if Jack White plays them anymore, but uh, up in, up until recently, he was kind of the guy who brought these harmony guitars kind of back into vogue. Oh yeah, but, like um, the airlines and stuff. Exactly yeah. right. So it's it's kind of made of nothing, and uh, it's it's a bunch of air in, in between the uh, yeah top and the back so we just had uh we just had michael from east eastwood guitars on oh, yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. uh he's uh he's obviously the purveyor of those these days sure uh, so we talked all about those kind of models and stuff that, nice. was, that was fun stuff uh well as for me i i'm busy doing a ton of guitar stuff and i usually talk about guitar you know uh instrument stuff and gear but i did want to share that i so i went on a little road trip uh go visit my folks in uh, in Georgia and uh, went and saw uh, Greer, Nick Greer from Greer Amp. So that was a real fun time. But that's uh, on the way. I stopped at, uh, at a, uh, I think it was Half Price Books and I got the Illustrated Directory of Guitars. And it's, it's uh, just kind of one of these, it's got a crud, uh, just a crap ton of uh, good... Crud. Crud and crap. A, a sounds crud good. And crap ton. <laughs> it's got a whole lot of information about guitars. Now I'm trying to figure out when when it was printed because I think it it clearly stopped at some point. But you know, it's just like three bucks, and it's like you know Why a not? big fat history of guitars. And, oh, yeah. and uh, you yeah, got to get it's it. It's cool. Three bucks, man. Um, and then I also got one of my favorite bands ever in the whole wide world is X from Los Angeles. And uh, they, he, John Doe wrote a book uh, with Tom DeSavia uh, De um, and, and many other people in the scene called Under the Big Black Sun, A Personal History of L.A. Punk by John Doe. And I saw that and I was like, I don't care how much that is. It was really cheap. But if it was really expensive, I still would have bought it anyways because he's one of my, uh, I guess, you could say a musical hero, um, him and the folks from, from X. So, uh, so that was really fun and it's got... It's got all kinds of people in here from uh, um, that that contributed. Uh, people like uh, Jane Weedland from Go Go's, Henry Rollins, Mike Watt, uh, Jack Grisham from T.S. Well, um, whole bunch of other people. So, anyways, that has been a kind of a fun read. I'm not a big massive reader, but I'll I'll dig into this stuff for sure. 
Anyways. One, two, one, two, three. Four on the floor. All right, Pete. Give us your four yeah, on the floor. My four, I chose four that are uh, kind of have some special meaning to me at different uh, points in my life. Usually, uh, I mean, typically uh, these are from when I were uh, was just starting uh, starting to play back uh, a long, long time ago. Based on these pedals, you'll you'll understand how long ago it was. Uh, the <laughs> first one is a Mutron Phaser Two. It was the first effect that I actually plugged an electric guitar into. I think I was in the ninth grade, and it was 1977, I believe. Oh. And yeah, it was uh, it was not my pedal. It was um, I, I was taking lessons from a guy down the street, and um, and he had this Neutron Phaser too. And it, it's funny because he wasn't like a rock and well, I don't know what he played. He played um, he was kind of an old dude, and he played things that you'd expect an old guy to play on electric guitar. But he had this Neutron Phaser, and I plugged it in, and it was just this is, you know, an, an amazing experience just to hear the the you know, the alteration of the sound and what this thing could do. And um, so it's always kind of stayed with me, the sound of it. It's a you know, six-stage phaser, and it's got a feedback control, which really kind of helps, you know, you can get some kind of intense phasing effects through it. But it's just really got a nice kind of watery uh, sweep to it. And uh, that's, uh, I, you know, I, I can still uh, remember to this day, I, I haven't got one. I haven't picked one up myself, but I, you know, I'll check out uh, Reverb and eBay uh, on occasion, and at some point I'll probably find the need to uh, add that to the collection. So that's uh, that's number one. Uh, uh, you, you had one, uh, you had Jared just about falling out of his chair, flapping <laughs> his arms because he's a huge Mutron fan. Yeah, oh, nice. I've got one of those. And, uh, oh, I've you been, do the, the Phaser too? Yeah, I I picked it up for a really good price and uh, took it home and. I have it plugged in through a twin reverb that I have, and uh, man, I I love that pedal. It just totally changes the sound of your guitar. You know, you know it's it's kind of a simple, you know, it's a simple pedal, but it uh, just you know it's it's tuned really nice, and it does have a yeah. great warm sound to it. And you can kind of dial back the feedback and turn the speed up, and then get you know get this kind of you know watery sound. You can you know get a slow sweep and add the feedback and get you know, kind of an intense phasing thing yeah that's why i like it so much it's yeah. got the slower sweep and i like the size of it too because i mean He's i got a guy i got a i got a, I got a size 14 <laughs> man i need oh, to be yeah. tall it's perfect mm. for it then yeah oh yeah uh okay cool what's number two number two uh another phaser so this seems a little weird like two out of four that's a that's a high percentage of phasers but this is the first effect i actually owned it, it was given to me um, by a friend who had started playing electric guitar a couple of years before I did, and he decided that he was going to concentrate on acoustic guitar. So um, he just one day said, hey, I've got this MXR Phase 45 pedal. Do you want it? Because I'm going to start playing acoustic, and I'm, I'm going to sell my electric. So uh, I happily took it, and it, uh, it's very different from the uh, the. Mutron phaser two. It's it's a, a two stage phaser, so it's very subtle, but it um, again, it's just a, a nice gentle sweep to it. it. It only has one knob, so which is also liberating in some ways too. You just it's, it's uh, speed. So do you want it slow or do you want it fast? And it's um, the way the LFO works is you turn the speed up, it reduces the range uh, automatically in a sense. It's the 
the LFO is getting low passed for technical people out there. So uh, and it's 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 voiced really nicely. So that's a fun one. And, and the, yeah, that's so the first effect I ever owned. And I still have it. It's the block logo uh, phase 45. Can you, uh, for the listeners that aren't familiar, can you explain LFO really quick? Oh, yeah. Uh, low frequency oscillator. So any of these modulation effects, um, phaser or flanger are a good one because they typically are dramatically kind of hear how the, the sound will cyclically kind of go through a rotation, you know, that so what's controlling that is a low frequency oscillator lfo so like on the mxr phase 45 with one knob that just says speed you're controlling the rate of that low frequency oscillator but typically what will happen with those uh that type of effect you will filter the oscillator so that as it goes faster it, it actually kind of occupies a lower change in the sweep so it doesn't sound like a complete utter freak out Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? It, so it kind of reduces the range automatically. And right. it and it's something that happens. It's a fairly easy thing to do, but you do have to tune it right. And, um, you know, they obviously spent you know, the effort to, to tune it properly. Right. So that's, that's a, a really fun one knob pedal to have. I don't think most people actually realize that when you do turn the speed up on those that you that that actually does change the uh um the range in the lfo um and visually if if you're trying to understand what this looks like so you get the big wave up you get the big wave down you get the big wave up and what happens when you turn the speed up those the peaks of those waves get shorter and shorter right that's absolutely correct yeah right okay exactly what happens you know how i learned that listening to my own show (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah perfect Yeah, you're all right, man. Great. All right. How about number three? And number three is um, also an MXR. It's called the Distortion 2. It's a, um, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's obscure, but it's definitely not um, as, you know, common as the Distortion Plus, which is like the the little yellow uh, MXR distortion box. Mm -hmm. So the Distortion 2 was also from the probably early 80s here. And it's one of these ones that actually has the AC uh, is like, permanently built into the pedal. So you have to plug your pedal like into a wall outlet. Um, you know, there's no, uh, no DC jack or, or battery compartment. Um, and I, that one is, uh, has meaning for a couple of reasons. Uh, and one is, uh, it was designed by Keith Barr, who, um, went on after he, uh, started MXR, founded MXR. He went on to, uh, found Alesis, which is where I worked when I moved out, California uh, originally and I worked closely with with Keith and he's a brilliant guy and um, one of the features of this MXR distortion too is it doesn't have a bass control it has a resonance control and it, it's kind of like a bass control but it's, um, it's actually a resonant filter so what it does it really replicates the sound of like um, you know the, the resonance of, of a speaker cabinet and for that to be built into a distortion pedal is pretty cool and it's when you're playing in front of an amp it's when you turn it up, it's it's not like you hear like the low end come up, but it's more like if you play, you know, if you're playing palm muted chords or whatever, you'll actually hear kind of like the, the cabinet bounce at you because it's, you know, it's a resonant filter that's that's tuned at, at low frequencies. You know, it might even be like, you know, probably probably not much more than 80 hertz if it's if it's that much. But it's um it's a cool feature and it's like kind of typical of how Keith approached things. You know, he was always you know, even if it's just a simple distortion pedal, he's going to kind of bring something new to it. So, um, so that's a that's a good one. I still have that. Uh, I've had that for decades. Nice. And, um, yeah. 
uh, should I go on to the fourth one or any uh, questions? Yeah, no, that's great. Too? Cool. Yeah, the fourth one is um, one I picked up in the late 80s called the Ibanez PDM-1. It's the programmable modulation delay. Or would it be delay with, you know, PDM? You'd think it'd be PMD. Uh, programmable modulation delay. Um, and it's just, it's a digital delay, but it was pretty cool because this was like in 19, I think it was 88. Um, Scott Henderson was playing one. Now, he he was playing with Chick Corea at the time, touring with Chick Corea, and uh, also had his... Uh, a solo band called Tribal Tech, and really just tremendous musicians. And um, he uh, he played one, and so I kind of got interested in it. And it's it's a just a little it's a small pedal, but it actually has a little LCD screen, and you can program twenty presets. And then it has a song mode where you can program you can arrange those twenty presets in groups of up to ten in any order you want. So you kind of like you know put your playlist together and just you know every time you step on it it'll it'll um, scroll through but it's just a clean digital delay that's that is a very wide range of delay range and, and modulation options and stuff and um, that it was really kind of almost like a learning tool for me to um, you know to kind of go through the, the little menus and hear the effects so basically you can create with this one delay you can create uh, nice choruses and you can you can create flanges you can create uh, vibratos and it's all a matter of like how much you put you put the dry signal in there to to not put the dry signal in there are you do you have a delay range that's a maximum of 50 milliseconds or are you uh, is it a delay range of, of 500 milliseconds and um, kind of like put together all of the time-based effects and, and I, I really solidified how there's really not a difference between a chorus and a delay it's just that a delay has a lot longer delay line uh, as compared to a chorus and it's kind of like just a little uh, tutorial right there in a pedal. So um, I think it's got a little bit of cachet now. I, I think they're kind of, um, you see them on reverb, they're, they're going for a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if they're going to, they're not going to get at the clone value any anytime soon, but, uh, <laughs> but it's still uh, I mean, still nice will anything it. ever <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah. No, except for the uh, the new clone. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right. That'll, that'll get there. <laughs> Which is a good, I have that too. I like that. It's, yeah. I, I think that, the guy that, that uh, yeah. I think the guy that started Bitcoin uh, has <laughs> will, will probably buy them all up or something. Yeah. Clon, he's going to start Cloncoin. Yeah, yeah right. Hey, idea. there you go. Oh, that's a thing. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Those are solid. Uh, Ethan, awesome. how about you? All right, so mine maybe be a little bit different perspective here because I sort of view myself more as a songwriter than a guitar player. I am a guitar player, but I use it more to kind of um, service what I'm trying to do with writing songs. So um, the first pedal that I'm going with doesn't actually make any sound. It is the Keith McMillan soft step Two. this is a MIDI controller that I use in my rig. I have a live looping rig where I have a pedal board on the floor and then I have a pedal board like waist level that I have. I've got my laptop. I've got an Ableton push on it. I've got a bunch of other stuff mm -hmm. to do effects and, you know, to do live looping stuff. Um, and the Keith, Keith McMillan soft step allows me to, um, control looping from my, my MacBook. So, gotcha. um, that is really, really a big part of what I try to do is, is to create, um, live looping performances where you kind of feel, you don't really pay attention to the looping. You just kind of feel the song. Mm -hmm. So the soft step was a nice small, um, form factor, uh, didn't have any clicky foot switches, which was nice. So I could, I could fit that on my pedal board and not really take up a whole lot of space to be able to do a whole lot. Um, 
I have you know one one pedal set up for record, one set up for overdub. I've got a multiply feature, and then I can switch between five or six loops and start and stop my drum machine all from that one unit, which is pretty neat. Nice. Yeah, uh, I got a friend uh, named Glenn Davis who is in a band called Way Yes, and he he uh, does a similar thing. He's got a music stand with uh, most of his pedals actually up on the actual stand at waist height, so he plays. Uh, guitar and bass, I think, yeah, and uh, and runs his vocals through some of that stuff too. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. I mean, it makes it, it it makes a lot of sense actually. Um, it's you know for if you're doing that kind of music instead of just having everything on the floor. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff I like to control with my hands. I have a I actually have a timeline uh, delay up that I run my vocals through, and it's nice to be able to to you know change those parameters around in real time. Mm-hmm. And I, I always joke that if I didn't have this waist level stand, I'd need just really, really tall knobs on all of my paddles. Right. So that way I can just turn them, you know, like, I don't know, six foot knobs. If somebody needs to invent those. I would probably buy them. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of begs <laughs> the question, like, you know, I think one of the, one of the first guys to really get down and do all this stuff that at least that I can remember was Johnny Greenwood from a radiohead. And he spent mm-hmm. half the show crouched on his knees, twiddling knobs <laughs> So somebody's just gonna end up sitting behind a desk up on stage at some point. <laughs> yeah, with the right. guitar on their on their knee. Well, and it's it's certainly more visually appealing to do it on the floor and not have the you know, but uh, but it's just more practical to have it yeah. kind of right well, off the crouch down. Or yeah. Maybe it's the back thing. I don't want to hurt my back. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. What else you got? All right. So the second one, um, I'm gonna go with the Line Six DL4. Now this is a pedal. This is actually one of the first pedals that I got into. Um, I actually worked at Line 6 for almost 10 years, and that was kind of the place that really got me into gear. And I learned a lot from working there, and I really appreciate the work that went into that product. And um, I I used it a lot, actually, for vocals. I would beatbox through it, and there's some really cool effects you could get using the expression pedal on some of the delays there. Um, you know, maybe the audio specs don't you know, stand up to the pedals that are out, out today, but it's still got a really unique sound that I, that I still really enjoy. That's cool. So what yeah. counts? Yep. Um, and then the third one, I don't know if this is a faux pas to choose a Strymon pedal. Is that wrong? Um, but I, <laughs> I do use my Strymon timeline on everything. It's probably, I, I put delay on everything. So I'm going to go with the Strymon timeline for my third pedal. Um, I run vocals through it. I record, I record through it. I've got it on my, live looping rig on the floor um and you know it's just uh you know i i'm biased because i work here but i, I love that pedal i just i use it on everything well it's definitely one of my pedals that I'll, I'll never ever get rid of yeah i mean um, i think it like i said it's made a lot of four on the floors so i think we're, <laughs> we're okay if the okay, if okay. actual so, so, strymons puts it on there <laughs> so i'll get a pass on that one okay yeah. Would, yeah all right cool and then the last one, um, I've only had this pedal for a few months, um, so I, I can't really tell you a whole lot about it other than I, I think that the the people running the company are super creative. They do some really cool stuff. They're great people. That's um, the old Blood Noise Haunt. It's that oh. fuzz pedal. Um, and I'm not like a, I'm not like fuzz, I'm not a fuzz person, um, but this one's just really fun. Like you can get like really really messed up sounds all the way to uh, very, very clean and musical. I, I don't know if clean and fuzz go together, but something that's that's not, not as really, really messed up. 
Um, and it's fun to, to just run lots of instruments through it. And, um, and I, I also just like the fact that the, I, I love all of the, you know, the marketing, I mean, I'm a, I'm a marketing guy, so I love yeah. all the marketing that old blood noise does. They do, they made really good videos. I love the coffee and riff stuff that they do. And maybe, maybe they still do this. I'm not sure. Um, but cool, cool people, cool pedals. And this one is just a lot of fun to play with. Uh, yeah, that's another one that makes a lot of our foreign floors. We, we had them on, uh, Oh golly, maybe, maybe about a year ago. And, uh, they just make outstanding stuff and they do it, uh, in a, in a way, all of their own. Uh, even yep. as you said, their, their actual, uh, branding materials and stuff. I'm, I am too, I'm a marketer in, in my day job. Cause you know, the podcast is, you know, <laughs> not my day job, but, uh, yeah, Great sounding pedals, and uh, I I do appreciate the little the little things that they add to it. That that is kind of the thing that makes them a little extra special. Just those little sure. tiny, like, wait a minute, what does this do now? Yeah, and it's kind of neat too because I think that they offer one of the things that I like is a pedal that can get you way beyond what you think a pedal should do just in terms of like really wacky, weird kind of messed up sounds that are not musical at all right? to something that is very musical. Um, and so there's, there's a very, very wide range there, which is something I appreciate because I don't always want something to sound musical. Yeah. But that, you know, they give you the full range. Indeed. I, I think that there's a whole faction of pedal makers out there that uh, have maybe given us a, a, a new, a new spot on the stage for those who aren't necessarily playing the song, you know, um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of emerging uh, guitar players that are, are textural almost exclusively mm-hmm. who are just searching out weird sounds to add on top of the song. Uh, and uh, we've had, we've had a couple of them on uh, recently adventure and uh, deep space, both, creating very soundscapey kind of stuff. And, uh, um, there's a, you know, there's definitely a new growing place for that. It's kind of, it's fun to see happen. Solid. Nice. All right. Um, well, that's a heck of a double four on the floor, everybody. (laughs) I like it. Uh, let's get into the meat of our podcast, the interview in which, we are going to talk to Strymon about the amazing pedals they build and how they did them. What we probably aren't going to do uh, is go through and say, tell us about each of your pedals, because there are 115 different ways to actually do that, probably better on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're really more invested in finding out about your story, uh, how how and why you matter to us uh, and, uh, you know, un- unearthing a little bit of the, the reason that Strymon is important to, to our uh, music landscape right now. So uh, with that, uh, Pete, you are co-founder, correct? That's correct, yes. And when did this co-founding business start? 2004. Yeah, let's see. It's it's weird. It's in the thousands, but it does seem a long time ago, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Uh, now, is that are you counting? Is two thousand four counting uh, the 
damage pedals or yes damage control yeah right. that's when we started that business back in 2004 okay gotcha and you were part of that back then that's right yes gotcha okay uh and then ethan you want to explain a little bit about w- what you're doing sure i mean i uh i came on i came on board um with the team about 2010 maybe it was 2000 yeah i think it was 2010 um you know, so damage control was what kind of got this all started off. Um, back in 2004, we had, I don't know if people are really familiar with those pedals, but we had um, the original timeline was a green, uh, it was a green delay with, uh, you know, had DSP in it, but it also had tube tubes in it. Right. Along with our uh, other tube preamp pedals. Um, and those were, those were great. We had a lot of, a lot of uh, artists in all over the world using them, um, but you know they had some issues in terms of like size and power requirements. So they didn't like take the world by storm, but they were uh, you know great platforms that allowed us to build on that and 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 move on to uh, Strymon products when we rebranded in two thousand eight, I believe it was. Well, they were certainly um, was- different uh, at the time. They were, I mean. They were they they still look different. If you see them on Craigslist or Reverb, you're like, whoa, wait, what is that? Sure. Yeah, even if you're not familiar with it, and we've had a couple, uh, actually recently in a row, we've had several of a four and floor uh, feature the the damage control uh, pedals as well. That's nice. cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you know, part of it was you know they it was a little bit before pedals really started to explode. Right. Um, and then, you know, real estate on boards became more of an issue and, and power requirements. So, um, you know, I, I think if we were to today, if we were to make that type of pedal, there would be a lot of, a lot of differences, but that's kind of some of that is what informed us for things. We want to change a little bit when we, we, uh, came out with our first Strymon pedals. Um, but, you know, obviously the, you know, we were doing DSP with damage. You know, Pete, you can talk a little bit more about that of how the how the the damage control stuff sort of flowed into, you know, the Starman products. Yeah, we had um, the, you know, that original timeline was really the 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 basis is really the seed for much of what became the Strymon product line. Um, you know, we had uh, we started doing some uh, consulting along the way to kind of you know keep uh, keep the doors open, but you know, we can we continue to um, develop new algorithms and uh, kind of expand on what uh, what was introduced in the original damage control uh, line to um, you know to take advantage of the things we had learned by saying okay we got a you know you know lightweight uh, size you know standard power requirements um, so we kind of were um, you know getting ready for uh, for the uh, you know the next wave of products but you know we. It really goes back to back in 2004 when we said, all right, let's make some products. We did the two preamps, but while we were doing that, started our platform using these Shark processors, what we're still using today and uh, continuing to expand on that. Now, your actual role in the company, uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm the uh, algorithm developer and sound designer. So the I, I write the code and tweak the sounds. So if uh, I like to say, if you, if you like the way it sounds, uh, I'm, I had a big part of that. And if you don't like the way that sounds, then I, 
I'll reduce my role in that. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I spend, uh, I had mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking about uh, guitars that uh, I spend a lot of my time with a guitar on my lap and the, you know, the key, hands on the keyboard and, you know, adjusting things and, um, and then, uh, you know, auditioning and listening and re- revisiting and, and, and trying new ideas. And uh, using this uh, platform we had developed allows for really uh, kind of quick prototyping in a code sense where I can, I have an idea. It's it's really easy thing for me to kind of, you know, throw down some equations and, and experiment and then decide whether like where it's going or whether to, to take a different approach. But it, it is a lot of fun to, sometimes it's, I don't know, frustrating is the right word, but, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, it takes a while to kind of get where you want it to be. And there can be times during that period where you get a little, you, you can just kind of like, you you know where you want it to be, but it's not there yet. And um, it's always rewarding when you get to the point where it's like, ah, this is, this is what I was going for. And, and That has got to be a daunting task at this point, considering you, you, like, let's, let's just make sure that, that we can talk frankly about like the importance of Strymon in the guitar world. I mean, your pedals are widely regarded as, you know, I'd say probably some, at least some of the the best (coughs) pedals in the business, bar none. So when, at a certain point, when you start, when you're like, cool, uh, okay, so I got to top the El Capistan. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yes, that uh, that is... um, it certainly it does that's the one thing that does continue to get more difficult um in in a certain way i mean i guess uh well uh, it's kind of a, a an analogy uh greg will use the expression you'll say well you have you have your whole life to make your first album and one year to make your second album right and, and in a certain way it's a, it's the same kind of thing but the expectations are high and um so we do have um I wouldn't call it a graveyard of algorithms because I, I, I there are things that are, haven't been given up on, but we set the bar pretty high in terms of what we consider would be an acceptable Strymon product. And there are things that we could definitely absolutely just kind of mail it in and probably be like, Hey, that was pretty good. But it's like, that's not going to, that's not going to do it. You know, you know, it, we feel like, you know, people would see that. Like if, if we haven't really put, you know, our best efforts into it. It's like, you, I, I mean, I'm sure everyone, you know, in the business feels the same way about what they're doing. It's like, you, you know, people, people know if you, you can't, you know, you can't fool them and you, you gotta, you gotta do your best. And that's what we try to do. But it, it, it does get to be a little bit uh, daunting on occasion to, to think, oh, okay, wow. Um, people really, really like that. So, all right. What are we going to do? Some more things that people really, really like, but uh, it's it's a good it's a good challenge to have. Yeah, I can imagine. I believe that you know, with each new pedal that comes out, especially earlier on, with with uh, you know, like the timeline and the Big Sky and the, and the El Capistan and stuff, it I think it actually created or at least widened the door for what was um, wanted or anticipated from guitar players uh as far as how much effect you could put into a pedal and i think subsequently we saw a lot of builders like really uh, uh grow in, in their in their offering of well actually i can make it do this or i can make it do this and not feel sort of penned in with what is you know accepted as a delay or uh, a reverb 
Sure. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, if you think about, uh, we released timeline, was it 2011 maybe yep. or something? And um, you know, if you, you know, fast forward seven years later, I mean, the, um, I, I liken it to the craft beer industry in a certain way where, you know, for a number of years, I've said about both craft beer and pedal makers, how many more can the market sustain? I mean, like, but people still drink beer and people still buy pedals and it, it uh, there's room for, there's like room for everybody. And, and I, I, I doubt it's even topped out yet. It's oh, just, definitely not. It's just and I, an amazing uh, market out there and environment. Yeah. I think um, people also want, they want to see the next thing coming up. Like if they're a Strymon fan or a Mutron fan or people want to see the next thing. So I think that's, you know, with the pedal, pedal builders and, and pedal makers, you know, I, I think there's also that pressure as well. You know? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah time. It, nothing stands still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and from a, from a, from a, I guess a consumer standpoint or a collector standpoint, that's, that's the fun. So when people talk about, you know, have we, have we hit a plateau with pedals? It was like, it's it's one of those weird things where the more you have, I'd say it's actually along the lines of music itself, where you know the more you the more you actually have that are good and are and are and are broadening the spectrum, the more that that can hold. So, if I know that there are X amount of you know a, a specific kind of effect out there and they keep growing and changing and maybe I lock on to and this is where this is where all the branding and getting to know the the the, the pedal makers themselves and the brands and that's what we're trying to do is give you give people an emotional hook into a product as well so you know you, when you discover somebody it's just like discovering a new band it's like oh my gosh I found this new band oh my god nobody right. knows about them it's like I found this new guy who's making this pedal nobody's got it I got to have it right Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's exciting. It's always fun. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a discovery. Yeah. So, how does one stumble into a pedal algorithm land? Um, it's a it's a long story that starts almost as long ago as my uh, you know, when I plugged into a Mutron phaser. But uh, in fact, it actually does start then. Um, you know, when I was in high school, like I so I you know like many teenagers, you know. I, playing guitar and, and really liked it, but um, you know, I had to start thinking about, okay, what, what I'm going to do after high school. So, you know, I figured I'd go to college and I'd already uh, kind of, you know, inclined towards math and science. So like, all right, engineering, that sounds like the right thing. But then I didn't know what, what kind of engineering. And then I was looking at the courses, the name of the courses uh, for electrical engineering. And I, I hadn't really thought about it before, as silly as it seems, but like, I didn't think about like, stereos and TVs and things, but so I reading the courses and it was like you know, active filter theory and, and amplifier design and things like that. I realized it's like, oh, this is this is what you do if you actually want to get involved in, in making this stuff. So I decided I would uh, major in electrical engineering. And uh, so that's what I did. So that's that was the very start of how I end up getting into algorithm stuff. But it was kind of a, a bit of a long path to get there. I, I'll give you the uh, condensed version, but um, I worked for analog devices kind of coincidentally enough back in 1985 when I got out of college. And um, it was a great gig and, uh, you know, it was on the on the East Coast. I'm originally from the Boston area. And, um, you know, it, it was 
it was very uh, academic environment. I mean, there were there was you know, great emphasis on you know continued learning and and you know it was a very kind of buttoned down environment. And even though I was working with you know, really brilliant people, I, I felt like a little intimidated and uh, like I didn't fit in in a certain way. Like I, I felt like I'm faking it here. I, I'd always had this uh, idea that I'd move to California someday. Not so after three years, I left analog devices and I moved to California to go to Musicians Institute for the guitar program. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a year, which was an eye-opening, a really nice uh, time and a great experience and met some good people and realized that I was, you know, you know, any hopes I had of like making a living playing guitar were, you know, nicely crushed there because I realized how difficult it would be to actually become a professional musician that put food on the table that way. And, and I was not going to be one of them. But um, since I was already in California, I stuck around and uh, sent out letters to uh, music companies and ended up getting a job at Alesis Electronics back oh, in yeah. 19, okay. yeah, 1989. I started working there. I worked there through the whole eight, uh, the, the quadverb. I don't even know if the quadverb was released when I started working there. So I saw this, you know, huge explosion. And it was, it was great. I was working um, with the owner, Keith Barr and um, in their custom silicon division and, uh, because of my experience at analog devices. And then little by little, I just kind of through osmosis picked up signals, some signal processing stuff here and there. And then I worked there till 2000 and then started working for line six where I uh, worked. I was pretty much the primary developer of the TSP platform and code on the, uh, the Variax guitar. Oh boy. So, um, yeah, so that was, uh, and that actually got me more, uh, you know, involved in DSP. So really, I guess if you, can you, you stick can around you just explain DSP really quick? What oh, yeah, that? sure. Uh, digital signal processing. So like my, at school and my early electronics experience at work were analog uh, electronics where you're talking about transistors and resistors and capacitors and um, analog circuits. But digital uh, signal processing is where you're really dealing with, um, you know, discrete numbers and a lot of it's you know, done with software signal processing chips. After basically having started at Alesis in 1989, you know, you, you can't help but basically just learn things. And uh, it was through a process of, of continually, continually learning. Um, and then at some point, really applying some critical listening and, and, and feeling like I, I think I've got a, an ear for this. And I think I can maybe, you know, have some success uh, being a guy who gets involved you know, in products, uh, in sound design and stuff. And I got a chance to do some of that at line six. So that really kind of set the stage and then once we started uh damage control then i was that was that was my job and i didn't have anyone else to uh ask questions so i was like all right i guess uh, i'm on my I'm on my own now so uh, gotta you know gotta figure it out and, um, and uh, yeah i've had a great time doing it so i don't know if that was a condensed version <laughs> or not but uh, uh that's uh it's it started a long time ago and uh still still learning well i want to do that to illustrate that when we're dealing with some of these pedals that are, you know, digitally based or, or, you know, DSP based, they are what they are. They do what they do. These, these, they do so much and they do it so well that it isn't an, an you know, a giant team of robots, you know, <laughs> coming up with this stuff. There's, there's somebody behind it. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that. I, because I think for whatever, you know, for better or for worse, I think Strymon in the boutique world is, you know, close to that sort of, you know, almost boss uh, <laughs> element, which is like, who makes these things? 
right? Uh-huh. Right, right. The, the, the romance with pedals is, you know, like we just had uh, Clint McDuffie on from Deep Space. He's a guy that lives in Alabama that makes pedals, you know? Yeah, so right. you, can, you can put a, a face and a name and a voice and everything to the person that actually handcrafted the pedal and put it in your hand and you just put it on your board. And that is a great emotional connection. For sure. With yeah. the Strymon yeah. pedals, they're, they're so good and they're so amazing that <laughs> I think people forget like, hey, there's, there's some people that actually made this stuff. Well, and the, I think the interesting thing is too, uh, I've learned that just talking with customers and when we go to NAM and, and people that talk to us, you know, here and there on social media, they think we're way bigger than we actually are, which always surprises us. We're like, you know, you guys are like Boss or like Yamaha size. Like, no, not even close. Nowhere near that. And, you know, when, when you're talking about who makes who makes our pedals sound the way they do, it's it's essentially Pete and know for some of the analog stuff would be greg so there's there's like we have two people doing that here right <laughs> um so yeah that's always a little surprising and it's you know that's great. probably a great compliment i mean <laughs> yeah. really if if you're being in, compared with with the likes of that it, it's for a reason it's for quality and it's for dependability and it's for amazing sound i mean that's it it's not because you put a cool graphic on your pedal that's cool. yeah i appreciate you you're saying that yeah it's it's um you know, anytime you get the positive feedback, it's always nice to, to hear that people are appreciating. So in the world of Strymon, you've pretty much conquered just about every aspect of, of pedals, at least as we know it. Where can you describe like some of the places you're headed with, with Strymon right now? Um, you know, it's, we have that that saying. You know, if we uh, if we told you, we'd have to. You know. <laughs> um, but you know, there's we're, like Pete said, there's always lots and lots of things that we're actively working on, um, and we do get a lot of requests for for certain things. You know, just I think really what it comes down to, um, there's there's a lot of things we could possibly do. We just want to make sure that anything that we do put out we do bring something new to the table and we really make sure that it's going to be something that will inspire people to be creative um, first and foremost. And obviously will sound amazing. So that's the criteria. can't really, can't really give you any hints on what we might be working on, but um, there are, we are, we have lots of things going on. <laughs> that's, that's so, so sorry for the non-answer. I am the marketing guy. It is <laughs> quite all right. I, I expected yeah. that actually. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Uh, I did have a, a, a specific question that, I, you know, hopefully it's not too nebulous or hard to answer. And if it is, we'll just edit it. One thing that I noticed about the pedals is that they have something as much as you think you know what it's going to be. And as much as you have heard demos and you've, been, you know, we, we've seen the pedals all over the Internet. But when you get one in your hand and you start playing with it, you're like, wait a minute. I thought I knew exactly what this was going to be. And there's, there's this little, I was trying to explain it to Tony because um, we had a listener who will remain nameless who actually sent me a whole box of these pedals because I, I'd been talking about it and I hadn't actually played one before. Uh, I wanted to, but they just, you know, haven't gotten there. And so he said, Hey, I got a bunch I want to send you. I want you to try out. And I, which was a, an incredibly generous gesture. Um, I'll be sending them back, you know, with a nice little gift <laughs> after the show. 
But when I when I brought him in, I started playing with him. I sat back and I said, "Wow, this has this has a certain something that I can't actually put my finger on. I don't know how to explain it, but I I know the effect that it's supposed to be doing. But I'm getting I'm getting more out of this specific pedal. I think especially when I was playing the uh, the Deco, which was the one that he said, "Man, you got to play this right, right. because you're gonna lose your mind." And I said, <laughs> "Yeah, I want to try it." <laughs> you know, let me do it. How much of the design that you're working on, and by design, I mean sound design, when you are working on these pedals, your goal is to say, say you're going to, you're designing the, um, uh, the El Capistan. You know what the main purpose of that pedal is. Can you talk about how you put that extra something in? How intentional is that? How accidental is that? Um, it is a <laughs> difficult uh, question because it's, I'll say this at least. I don't basically say, okay, all caps finished now, except for that little extra something I got to put in. You know, <laughs> there, there is not like an ingredient for, for any of them. The approach is always, we want to capture for something like El Cap, you know, we want to capture the essence of tape machine, but we don't want to just try to make a clone of something. We want to allow for parameters and things that um, create a, a wide range of experiences or if sure. there's something that we feel like, hey, this is, um, I'll say in El Cap, a lot of attention was spent on the way that it'll uh, oscillate or saturate when you turn the repeats all the way up. I guess for that, it's like, I was really concerned that I wanted it to sound nice. I mean, and sometimes even analog circuits don't necessarily sound nice, you know, when they're crashing and distorting and, and, and things like that. So I wanted to, you know, be able to get uh, something that would be you know, a really nice, you know, fat, harmonically rich, oscillating saturation. So I kind of went to uh, you know a fair amount of lengths to to work on that to say how is this thing flipping and it's overdriving and the feedbacks coming in and crashing with the input signal. Like how are they working with each other and against each other? And some of that stuff goes a little bit. Towards the uh, towards the I guess the creative or artistic part of the effort, which I really enjoy. That's actually probably the most rewarding is when you are just kind of trying to create in that sense. Um, but of course, you can't really take too many liberties because you you do have a goal in mind that you don't want to stray from. So I I, I think in general uh, that would apply to any of the pedals. Just that kind of philosophy. So maybe if you'd say oh, the pedals you've played seem to have something extra. My guess or hope might be that what what you consider to be the something extra probably isn't like the same thing in all the pedals, but maybe something that um, that you're keying on that uh, was something that we decided worthy of our attention. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's not necessarily that you added the specific effect or, you know, okay, well, you have to have speed. Well, we need to have that. Well, we have to have rate. Well, we've got that. How those things are interacting is where it sounds like you spent a lot of extra time Yes, that's that's always uh, that's always the case, and that's one of the the, the beauties of uh, using DSP platform is that you know you have absolutely fine control of the tape, not only the taper of the knob, but you know on any if you turn any knob, it doesn't necessarily only have to affect the you know if you turn a speed knob like we had said in, in the analog circuit, right? You know, you, you can affect the the amplitude of that LFO um, as you increase the speed. Well, you could, of course, you do the same thing 
in a digital, uh, I'll just call them digital circuit, but um, you can also do a lot of other things. You could actually lower the op- lower the um, DC point of, of, of that LFO, you know, if it's it's operating over ranges, again, more technical stuff, but, you know, not just whether the, the LFO gets larger or smaller, but does it shift up or down? And actually some of that is, you can do in analog circuits too as well, but you have the ability to not be tied to, you know, any strengths of a fixed analog circuit. And that's, that's very liberating because you can, you can really take care of these things that maybe bothered you. You might say, oh yeah, at the end of the range, it gets a little, it's like, all right, well, let me um, add something so that when you turn this knob, it's actually in addition to adjusting the speed, might be just adjusting 10 different things. But all of that, the idea is you don't want to draw someone's attention to that when they're playing with the thing. You just want them to go, wow, this is really nice. Right. So that's um, that's what I did. That's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's, a, that's a, a big part of it. Absolutely. I'm awfully glad you took the time to explain that because I, I wanted to ask that as soon as I played it. And I said, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if anybody can actually cool. answer right. that. But you touched on something that uh, I think is at least... You know, it's it's a topic out there, which is the digital versus analog argument. Obviously, you guys build digitally based pedals. As far as that debate goes, how much of your sound design is consciously trying to counteract that? Well, there's a fair amount in the sense that, you know, again, let's say go back to El Capistan or um, Deco, it's a saturation those are processes that are they get ingrained in musicians' ears as they as they hear these theme records or experience firsthand. Right. And you know, they're they're all you know born from their analog processes. So you need to uh, put the effort in to do the right things to to capture those. And, and that's actually the things that are very simple to do in analog to distort the signal are the most difficult things to do correctly in, in the digital platform. But it's worth that effort because of the other you know, freedoms and flexibilities that you get from it. And then sometimes, depending on the uh, application, like on our Sunset Overdrive in the uh, Riverside oh, preamp pedal. so good. Thanks, yeah. Um, oh. We really, really like those. And um, when you turn the drive knob up on those, it's it's actually it's a, it's a two-part uh, process that's happening. We have a discrete analog uh, JFET front end that's digitally controlled. So as you turn the drive up, oh. you're actually overdriving an analog signal before it's fed into the DSP. So uh, we felt on those products that having a JFET front end really kind of was finishing touch to get those get the right feel and response. And j- for those who aren't familiar, uh, uh, JFET is just a it's it's an analog circuit. Can you just very briefly explain that really quick. Yes, it's a junction field effect transistor. So it's it's a component, but it's a, it's a, an analog transistor that uh, commonly used as preamps, like a Echoplex preamp, a JFET circuit, has characteristics that make it uh, good for audio front front end purposes. Yeah. So yeah, Greg designed one with um, digital control to it that allowed us to uh, integrate you know, that analog process. Right, and some of the greatest drives you know in in pedal history, you know, feature that actual that the, a, a jfet style circuit um and that's Actually, a, that's an sat question somewhere i'm sure yes. <laughs> <laughs> i also wanted to just and Pete can explain this far better than i can but i also wanted to point out that you know sometimes there's just certain times where a digital circuit is going to be it's just going to it's going to work out better for what you're trying to do sure. like for instance a reverb if you want to have 
a plate reverb. You got to have a big, huge plate in a room to put it in and microphones and all that. So a lot of that stuff, it sounds great in analog, but we can, we can reproduce many different variations of that in digital that you know, a big plate reverb is not going to fit on your pedal board. Right. Um, and then the other thing I was thinking about is, um, you know, in terms of, you know, looking at something like an echoplex as, as a sound that you might want to try to, to recreate in, in the digital world, you know, uh, every echoplex sounds a little bit different. So you're, you could, you could like model one and try to get that sound of that one echoplex. But I think what we try to do is kind of look at the, the mechanics of the machine as a whole and kind of figure out what, what are the things that create these sounds and give you the range so you can have the sound of any, any tape system versus just, you know, one specific, uh, echoplex. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, Pete can probably explain that better than I can, but those are just a few other things I was thinking about analog versus digital. I think for us, it's more about, it's not, is one better than the other? It's, it's, um, you know, what's going to allow us to create, uh, what we need to create. Right. Essentially. Well, yeah, I appreciate you guys pulling that apart because the terms being, you know, perfect versus imperfect kind of are the words that fall into that discussion. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't know how fair that is. Certainly there are some digital pedals that you go like, wow, that's, that sounds just like a robot. No, thanks. Obviously you've, as we just tried to explain, you have taken the steps to ensure that they don't feel like that or sound like that or react like that. And I just wanted to to squash a little bit of that very blanketed statement argument. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it'll be it, it's a debate that'll never um, be settled for for some people for sure. And and you know that's fine. <laughs> There's yeah. lots of uh, lots of options out there, but uh, for sure. Well, guys, I really do appreciate you walking through sort of the background on the Strymon pedals. Um, obviously, there are. Many, many. How many do you have? You got fifteen, something like that. I think it's around there. Yeah, yeah. about. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pedals, yeah. people out there that you can go check out. You don't have to be convinced to do so. So get your hands on one. Go check them Listen out. Listen to demos on YouTube. Yeah, they're yep. they're great. There's some great people doing great demos with great products such as these guys. Thank you so much. We're gonna jump right into Jared's favorite. Which aspect. is, would you rather? Okay. okay. What, what do you got there, Jared? Okay. Would you rather? Now, picture yourself, you're at your favorite concert, and you're backstage, uh-huh. and, you know, the the guitar tech says, hey, man, those guys want you out there for the next song, <laughs> so you get to play <laughs> on stage with your favorite band. Right. However, there's only two guitars you get to choose from. Okay. Number one. We've 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 broached this topic before, but it's always a fun one. So we're just yeah, going to hit this again. It's great when when it's like, you know, you have to pick the Yeah. The worst side of the two or the best side of the two worst. Uh-huh. I don't Depend, know. Yeah, right. depending on how you approach this. So the two guitars sitting on the guitar rack are a Bo Diddley, which is, is a rectangular mm-hmm. it's yep. a rectangular guitar. And is it's this just, the red one or the polka dot? Oh, whatever you want, man. The worse, the red. better. Red? Okay. Yep. A red rectangle guitar. Yeah, so all right. That's what you get to play. Pete calls it as a red. Or yep. would you right. rather uh-huh. choose the reverse V? This is a Karina. 
That's right. Okay. And oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the reverse V is really weird looking. Yeah. Yeah. So borderline you wrong know, looking. Let's yeah. just throw that out. There. It does. It, it does look wrong. <laughs> and that's that's why it's in this segment today. But some guys going, but that what makes it so right. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. I, I, can I just jump in because yes. I I just hate V's. I just, I don't care if they're reverse <laughs> or not. I think I think they're terrible. So. Um, people can send me hate mail if they'd like. Um, this ah, is Pete talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'd have to go with the the bow diddly. I mean that 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 guitar is rad. I love it. You know, it, I am a big fan of that too. And it's kind of weird whenever you get a signature guitar, it's like you almost can't play it because you're like, oh, you got a bow diddly guitar. You know, it's it's kind of <laughs> hard to get away from that. It could just be a rad looking right. guitar if bow diddly didn't yeah. have. Well, they expect you to play some bow diddly. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like if you get this you get right. the SRV strap, you get the SRV right. on the pick guard. It's like you're going to play right. that like, oh, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but but I I agree with Ethan um I on this one I too would uh, this was before he said that. Um, I, I'd go for the I'd go for the rectangle. I'm I'm Bo Diddley all the way here. Okay. Yeah. And wow. now now Ethan, just for the record, I know I know that Pete called out a red one. Are you going red or white or polka dot or black? I, I'm now with the red one. I'm looking at a picture of the red one right now. I, I'm, I'm in a bit on it. It's on reverb right now. I'm, I'm yeah. Going. Why not? Do it, Jared. How about you? Yeah. I'm gonna be the weird gay, and I'm yeah. gonna go with the uh, reverse V. Reverse. Because I want everyone to remember my playing and uh, instead of the guitar. So I'm going to challenge myself and try to play that, really well. That might so they're be not actually about a the, great strategy because if you do get up and suck, they're not going to remember that. They're just going to remember, remember the, the guitar. guitar. They remember 60% Ooh, appearance anyway. Maybe I should do that. Yeah, I'm going with Bo Diddley too, but I'm going to take the polka dot because why not? Uh, but Sorry. yeah that's a cool guitar i it should get more love than than it does for other kinds of music but you know whatever have it at home play it at home yeah, enjoy exactly. your bow diddly yeah. guitar at home I, I think i'd only want to play one song for with it it looks kind of uncomfortable but and then smash it i should have said bow diddly tenor guitar oh no don't make it no no hard. it was supposed to be one? it was supposed to be the the word no, you know you really the better out of the that. two really bad choices and you guys are in love with these bow diddles you ruined it <laughs> ruined it uh, yeah, sorry we messed it up yeah so listen guys where can i mean look it's not very hard to find you on the internet but where can people find you on the internet um strymon.net uh also we have a, a lot of our demos on youtube and um we have we put a lot of stuff on instagram as well uh strymon engineering is the the handle there. And if you search for the Strymon hashtag, you'll find a lot of our customers and, and artists that are posting stuff on, on Instagram. So if you want to check out some other people that are playing some really great stuff with our gear and search for that, if people want to buy them, do you sell direct or is it a uh, dealer base? Uh, we sell direct on our, on our, on our online store. And we'd also have um, a whole bunch of really great authorized dealers throughout the U S and great Jared, where can people find you? Well, if you need some really cool pickups, some old looking ones or some custom made ones. Or some brand new looking ones. That's correct. Or you need one repaired out of your old vintage expensive guitar or whatever. Uh, find me at brandonwoundpickups.com and also find me on Facebook and Instagram. Brandon Wound Pickups. Don't forget Tony with Pick Guardian. He's That's not here point. to say it, but if you guys need a really cool pick art or need something... 
Pickguardy. Yeah. Get a hold of Pickguardian. He's made almost all my Pickguards, and they're awesome. And he's I not too them. picky either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're gonna. <laughs> yes. We're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I did that. Gosh. Uh, I may edit that. Uh, so. Um, one of the most important things about our podcast as of late has been our Patreon membership. And we have a lot of people that have jumped in and are, you know, helping the show out. And I, I truly can't express how important that is to our show to keep it going from an emotional standpoint and from a support standpoint. Right. It truly does help. And we have a handful of people that we want to thank who are our, are our executive producers at a $10 level. At which point they're going to get, what do they get, Jared? They get their name read on the thing. That's right. And they get a Guitar Nubs t-shirt, Guitar Nubs button, Guitar Nubs barefoot button to, to step on with your striming pedals, and a whole bunch of other little swaggy bits. Fun stuff. Yes. And then we're going to do this. So we want to say a big shout out to Tom Barazin, Martin Cliff, David Wolfson, Matt Brammer, Carlos Mancha, Pete Marshall, Robin Smith, John Daly, Oliver Gonzalez, Sean S. Chris Kearney, John Anglin, Robert Marfleet, Darren Gregory, Gary Goodman, and Beckett. Woohoo! Zach J. Wright, Doug Christ, Michael Van Zant, Brad Partridge, Doug Gann, Corey Nigro, and please. Ken, I'm so sorry. We had pronounced your name Key Sayers. I, I am on my knees begging for forgiveness right now. Yeah. Ken Sayers. Let's say it three times. Ken, Ken Sayers, Sayers, Ken, Ken, Sayers, Sayers, Ken, Ken Sayers. Sayers. Please don't appear in my mirror and try to do anything bad. Yeah. Um, Spooky. Thank you so much for your support, all of you and everyone at the other levels. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. All right. Strymon. We got Pete. We got Ethan. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day Pleasure. and Thank hanging out with us. It's been great talking to you guys. I'm smarter now. Same here. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, lots of fun. Thanks. Um, I know that our audience is going to chew this one up for sure. Awesome. So, yeah, really excited. So, uh, guys, we'll, maybe uh, if you're going to Nam. Oh, yeah. All right. We'll see you there. Yep. Definitely. Everybody else, <laughs> have a great guitar week and subscribe. Yeah. Well, that's it for these knobs. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the guitar knobs. Visit our website at theguitarknobs.com for all of our past episodes, four on the floor blog, and other good stuff. You can connect with us on social too at our Facebook page and share your gear and stories on our Facebook group. Also, be sure to check out our Instagram at guitar knobs. Catch you next time.